0: Welcome to the Doyen of Death podcast, funeral planning for those who don't plan to die. It's all about end of life issues and getting the conversation started about our 100% mortality rate. This series is hosted by Gail Rubin, certified thanatologist and the Doyen of Death. A Doyen is a woman who's considered senior in a group and knows a lot about a particular subject. Well, that's Gail. She knows all about creating the party no one wants to plan, a funeral or memorial service. discusses the changes death can bring and she'll make you laugh. This series includes episodes previously released as A Good Goodbye, a treasure trove of evergreen podcasts about funeral planning issues. This podcast reveals some of the mysteries and shares advice and tools that can reduce stress at times of grief, minimize family conflict, and help create a good goodbye. Remember, just as talking about sex won't make you pregnant, Talking about funerals won't make you dead, and your family will benefit from the conversation. So, here to talk about the subjects we sometimes avoid is author, speaker, and the doyen of death, Gail Rubin.
1: Grief is an emotion that most people want to avoid experiencing. They consider it a negative emotion. And, of course, when someone we love dies... Uh, grief is the natural response that we feel when when we love someone and, and we feel like we have lost them. And pain, the pain of grief is not only emotional or uh, your thoughts or your feelings, but it's also physical. You can develop stomach pain, shortness of breath, just unremitting tension. And yet when people go to grief counselors very often the chances are they're focusing just on their thoughts and and their feelings their emotional feelings rather than their physical feelings. We need to recognize that there are physical impacts of grief and emotions are meant to be expressed and repressed emotions can generate some chronic physical pain and disabilities that we are better off without. And here to talk about the uh, physical aspect of grief and other topics related to end-of-life issues. I'm very pleased and honored to have with us Dr. Diane Pulaski. Welcome, Diane.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me today.
1: Now, you are a certified death educator. You're a doctor of oriental medicine. You have a lot of experience and expertise in this field Could you just lightly touch on uh, some of your background that brings you to to this unique position?
2: Certainly. It's been a process. I was trained initially as a a humanistic psychotherapist. I have my master's in psychology. And I started doing counseling and realized that the body held the emotions as well. So I went to massage school for about three years and started combining counseling and body work. During that time, I... Made some further headway into the field and, and looked into acupuncture and realized that working with the energetic system uh, really helped to take it a step further in terms of balancing the system. And so I went to school on and off for about eight years and got licensed. And um, so I have my body and my mind. And then this, the acupuncture is beautiful because it balances and works with. We don't separate body, mind, and spirit, so we work on a whole system. During that time, I was also certified as a childbirth instructor. I was certified in hospice, and uh, as you said, I'm certified as a death educator and a grief counselor. I also had an opportunity to study um, and be certified as what we call an EPIC trainer. It was put on by the AMA, and we're trained to actually, it's the end-of-life care training for physicians, and we were trained to help medical people help people die because that's not what they're initially trained for. So this whole EPIC program that came about over the last uh, decade has been really helpful in expanding that too. So I've had an opportunity to do all these things, including extra work with trauma care. And so I've brought it all together, usually under the guidance of my acupuncture training and as part of my acupuncture work. But I've had an opportunity to do a lot of work in those fields. And so I've brought them all together and working with a lot of people who are going through g- grief and trauma and um, all those kinds of emotions that are actually not in the mind but held in the whole system. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the uh, the EPIC training, uh, when we think about our doctors and, and patients actually interacting with their doctors... So much of the goal is to live as long as possible, and and yet here is this training that uh, was developed by the AMA to help physicians help, I guess, help their patients and their families face end of life? Yeah,
2: the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation funded these training programs, and quite frankly, I don't know if they're still going on. There was a period of time um, I, was, I had took my training through the American Academy of Pain Management, but... Uh, they, it was the foundation that, that it was put forth to them that there was this gap in care. And as the hospice programs have, have grown and the palliative care programs have grown and are part of almost every medical institution now, it's become more widespread that it's not just about curing, it's also about healing.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
2: I think that there's a lot more sensitivity to it out there, but... Um, there are still places on an individual level where people aren't getting their needs met. And so there's a lot of different ways that we can work with that.
1: Okay, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that, what's available for, you know, people going through the dying process as we get a little further into our conversation. Correct, right, of course. Um, so let's talk about grief. Um, you know, a lot of people have a hard time Talking about grief and, and maybe want to avoid feeling those feelings. What happens when people minimize or repress their sadness or their anger?
2: Okay. Um, I'm going to kind of go through um, different steps with this, so I would just want to start by answering that directly. First, I want to say that grief is, along with other emotions, grief is not a pathology. It's a normal response to an abnormal situation that uh, and that goes for a lot of the emotions it's it's very individual and there's no normal timetable for grieving it's a very personal moment and what i tell my patients is the level of grieving is relative to the amount of love that you've had of what it is that's being that's lost now and this grieving process is actually an opportunity to honor the memory of those that we've loved and cared about when we're talking about loss of, of, of human life, of people we love. But these this it needs to be processed. It's like all of the other emotions. It needs to be moving, either individually or collectively, needs to be processed because any emotions that get stuck in the system turn into an imbalance and can have not just emotional reactions, but physical reactions. And various cultures have known this for a long time. I remember a story that was told to me by this gentleman, this uh, medicine person that I worked with from Central America, and he was telling me that nobody in the village was allowed to drink. The only time that everyone was allowed to drink and actually was prompted to drink was during the wake, when someone had died in the community and they were all sitting there. And what he said is everybody would drink, and then there were these old women that ran around with baseball bats, and they would be hitting people to make them cry. And it's a little far-fetched, but at the same time, he said it really was effective because the whole community knew that holding in your emotions was not healthy. And so that's just the story, you know, That, but, they, but cultures know. And mm-hmm. our Western culture is a little different sometimes with some of these things in terms of some of the things that we have been taught. Um, the way a person responds to grief, especially the loss of a loved one, it's, a, it affect, it's affected by their worldview. And this is a minute of, of sociology because, because you, your cultural upbringing has an effect, your religious beliefs and your religious upbringing, and then you've got your own personal spiritual beliefs. And all these things come into play on how you, how you, how you see grief, um, how you view death, and therefore how you, how you work with your grief. But um, there's a couple of quotes I just want to give from one of my death educator uh, professors who says, no matter what a person's cultural tradition, no matter what level of understanding or religious belief a person walks with, No matter how deep the faith or conscious a person is, there is still grief, there is still loss, and there is still an empty place that was once occupied. And in our culture, especially, um, as one of my other teachers spoke, he says, you know, we're taught throughout our lives how to acquire things, but no one ever really teaches us how to lose them. And I think that's really important to understand because... um, of how people are told, well, you know, you just get over it or, you know, or you follow your, your religious training, but but it still doesn't always answer the need inside and what happens. So I know that you talked, you asked me about repressed grief and how things get held, so I wanted to move on and just explain that a little bit. Sure. So okay. Yeah. Okay. I want to start by just saying, you know, grief is a reaction to loss and loss is traumatic. And I want to just share a story and words from this wonderful therapist, Peter Levine, who's written some books on trauma and trauma release. And the way he explains it, and this will kind of set it all off for us, is that in nature, an animal, for instance, is being stalked by a predator. Um, when, when that happens, their whole sympathetic nervous system, which we call fight or flight, But we have two parts of our nervous system. We have, in the central nervous system, we have sympathetic and parasympathetic, so we'll just call it fight or flight. But the fight or flight response takes over, and the person and the animal becomes immobilized with fear, and when that predator leaves or when that traumatic moment leaves, the animal lays on the ground and shakes, and what that's doing is the sympathetic nervous system is discharging the trauma that's in the muscle that, you know, preparation to fly or to fight. Mm -hmm. And humans don't have that capacity. So oftentimes that fight or flight moment gets lodged in our muscles, gets lodged in our tissue. And um, so I'd like to say that things like emotion, the emotion of grief, it's people, it's not in your head, it's in your brain. It comes from a showering of of activity inside the brain that shoots to the nervous system that puts you in fight or flight. And when that moment is over, the system in a human doesn't necessarily naturally discharge it. It's a process and needs some help. And if it doesn't get processed, then you have normal, you you have reactions. There are some reactions that are very normal. It takes energy to grieve and you can have fatigue as normal muscle tension, insomnia, body pain, um, especially in cases where where the fight or flight and then it just gets lodged in the muscle so the muscles mm-hmm. can hurt. You can have headaches, digestive upsets, but all these things should be short-lived. It's when okay. they're held too long.
1: Diane, we, we're up to our first break already, believe it or not, so we'll continue the conversation as soon as we come back from these short messages. All right. I look forward to it.
0: Gail Rubin, the Doyen of Death, has been producing Before I Die festivals for years. These festivals get end-of-life planning conversations started by putting the fun in funeral planning. Outside-the-box activities break down barriers to discussing death and planning for our 100% mortality rate. And now, Gail has created the Before I Die Festival in a Box, the Comprehensive guide to producing your own community festival. It includes everything you need to create a successful event, how to find sponsors, build a team, market the event, schedule speakers, topics for discussion, workshop ideas, and much, much more. To learn how to get your Before I Die Festival in a Box, visit BeforeIDieFestivals.com or call 505-
1: Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Diane Pulaski about grief and our physical responses to it. So, Diane, you were getting around to talking about uh, that it takes energy to grieve. It, It does have different physical reactions to it. Uh, So, is there a difference between an anticipated death and an unanticipated death when it comes to our physical grief reactions?
2: There definitely is, and I want to talk more specifically about that because it makes a huge difference. Uh, There's basically two kinds of grieving. There's anticipatory and sudden, as you mentioned. And anticipatory, it's the case where you're with somebody that you know is dying Your grief is in this holding pattern, waiting, Uh, whether you're with them physically or just on the other end of the phone. It's extended trauma. It's over time. What happens is the system moves into that fight or flight um, and it's held over a longer period. You're always waiting for that other shoe to drop. You never know. You're waiting for that phone call. You're waiting for the doctor visit. You know, you're waiting for that last moment. And what happens is with sympathy, what we call sympathetic hyperarousal is over a period of time it wears on your whole endocrine system, your whole we'll just say your adrenals. You know, too much fight or flight, you get stre- your body gets stressed. And over that time, physical stress can just it can work with it or it can rain havoc with the with the immune system. It can rain havoc with your whole endocrine system. Um, it stress is known to change a woman's menstrual cycle totally. You can get, you know, getting headaches. You're always waiting, waiting. And so that anticipatory thing, that anticipatory action of waiting has a really strong effect on the organ system and the adrenal function. So what happens then is when the person passes, your system just deflates and the bottom can just drop out. And I've seen this over and over with people, my patients who have been caring for dying loved ones, The adrenal exhaustion can affect the whole system, as I said, it can increase your inflammatory response because the adrenals just don't secrete adrenaline. They secrete corticosteroids, your body's natural anti-inflammatories. So so as you get adrenally exhausted and your sleep is affected, your hormones are affected, but your inflammation levels are affected, which can affect your allergy responses, and then your immune system also gets affected, Uh, There's a whole field of medicine called psychoneuroimmunology, and that's how emotional responses affect the immune system. For instance, I watched my grandmother growing up who nursed my grandfather with congestive heart failure over a period of time, and within a month after he died, she developed diabetes. She was so busy taking care of him, she not only didn't take care of herself, but her system was in such a state that when it bottomed out, her pancreas and the whole insulin system and her endocrine system just was affected and she ended up with diabetes. Mm. So, And that's not an uncommon thing. I see people with stress reactions where if they have immune dysfunction, like mono or Epstein-Barr or fibromyalgia, where these things can be affected and it's important for people to know it's not just in their heads, that these are normal responses to abnormal situations. Uh, sudden grief is very different. Sudden grief is when you, when all of a sudden you're going about your day and you get that horrific call. Um, you know, suddenly the person's gone. Suddenly, suddenly they're there and then they're gone. And that's happened way too much in our culture. Um, well, too many cultures, actually. But here the system just short-circuits where it's it's sudden trauma, it's a shock, and there can be numbness, a disembodied feeling. It's where that animal just get, goes immobile and and they get, can get frozen in that immobility. And in Chinese medicine and oriental medicine, we say that shock affects the heart, which, affects the, which is where the spirit or the shen is housed. And so your spirit can just get disassociated. It can be a real disassociation that happens from that sudden shock. And it affects the system so strong that I've seen it stop ovulation in women. Um, again, your entire system is affected, but it's so fast. And so they're two different. One is holding pattern blowout, and all of a sudden the other is just total shock and trauma. But in both cases, that, um, and even in the t- case where it's anticipatory, where you have time to care for your system, it, it still doesn't usually happen. You're not necessarily prepared for the level of impact mm-hmm. until afterwards.
1: Does that make sense? sure well yeah. whether you're anticipating it or it's a, a total shock and surprise um and okay. and the the list of of symptoms that that you mentioned i mean there's so many people who are you know could be could be suffering from grief because they're not sleeping well mm-hmm. um and I, uh, I remember in our own family um, when my father-in-law died, my mother-in-law, for the longest time, yeah, well, for a couple of months, she had trouble sleeping, and she, you know it was a very long marriage, and 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 yet she felt like I should be over this right uh-huh. away, and and you really can't. Um, no, you can't, and for something
2: like that where you've had a partner for so many years, to to. Um our, to explain a moment, is that our bodies just aren't biochemical. They're also electromagnetic. And we all have energy fields that it's been shown through research that extend beyond our body. Um, there's a study called the HeartMath study that shows that you can measure the electromagnetics of the heart up to 15 feet outside the body, and that changes with emotion. So if you think that you have shared a bed with someone for 40 years, 30, 40 years, and all of a sudden that piece is gone, it's not just a person's imagination. You have been sharing electromagnetic fields for a long period of time, and all of a sudden that piece is not there. And so hmm. these things are natural. They're, they're, they're not mental. They're electromagnetic. They're physiological. They have, they have real impact on a person and the way they are in the world. So, And the other thing that happens, too, is secondary to the initial grief process that I just want to mention, there are other emotions, there are secondary emotions that naturally can come up where someone, after caring, is it like maybe your mother, um, Mm -hmm. your mother-in-law is exhausted, And then they get upset for themselves, like you're saying, about not being able to function. They should be over this. And then they start getting down on themselves for that. And then they start maybe feeling guilt that they could have done more or resentment that why didn't you know this happen or this happened or, um, or fear about their own situation. And so there's all the secondary emotions that come on top of it that on top of going through physiological and electromagnetic changes, it just adds to it. And so it's like all of a sudden you get filled up. And, it's, and talking is helpful, but it isn't always enough in terms mm-hmm. of how to work through some of this that's left in your tissues and your field and your endocrine system. Um, I just want to add one more thing because I've started to see through the years a lot more first responders. And as I work with trauma and I work with loss, when you get series of hospice workers, ICU people, EMTs, firemen, um, and people you know, that act as first responders, especially with some of these natural disasters, is no matter how well-trained a person is, sometimes it's just the sheer quantity of the impact. And the more, the more they're part of that, the more their fight-or-flight system gets upped. So it takes less to put them over the edge of having it impact on their system. So I've seen through the years, especially recently, how important it is for people that are first responders to do something to take care of themselves as well.
1: And what can they do?
2: Okay. Um, There are different things a person can do when they're suffering from grief and um, whether it has physical reactions or actually almost any kinds of reactions. I'm just going to state this one because this kind of sums it up in terms of the process, whether it's a first responder, whether it's sudden grief, or whether it's anticipatory, is there are two kinds. There's normal grief and there's complicated or unresolved grief. And this is a quote from an authority in the field. She says, As long as your grief is moving, changing, and fluid, it's okay. As long as your emotions are constantly changing and you're exhausted at the end of the day, you're on track. It's only when grief stagnates and traps you in an unchanging phase or cycle that it's gone wrong. You may then need some help with this unresolved grief, and it'll feel like it's unfinished, and you may need some help to complete your grief and the grieving process. So with that, you know, with the norm, even whether it's normal, whether it's unresolved, that's a whole spectrum in terms of different kinds of care available. Mm-hmm. But I don't want it. It needs to be processed regardless, whether it's a normal grieving process um, or just, or if it's complicated. I can I cannot um, underemphasize how vital it is to have talking therapy, to have counseling to have someone who has been trained in grief counseling who knows how to work to help process it. There's some amazing therapists out there that are trained specifically in working with grief and death and dying. And they utilize various, um, oftentimes they'll utilize various modalities um, and involved with energy medicine that help to rapid eye movement. And there's different kinds of new psychotherapies out to help with releasing trauma from the body. So that's something that's been accepted. In some cases where it's really complicated, Western medicine—I don't want to underemphasize that either, because there are some times when you just need to put the fire out. Where if the system starts habituating to insomnia or digestive issues or some of these things, you can't talk your way out of that looping that your system is now habituated to, and. Um, so Western medicine, um, sometimes something for the stomach, sometimes something to help you sleep. Short-term Western meds can be vital to help put that fire out so the house can get cleaned, so to speak, you know.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Um, but generally, there are other modalities that are out there that will impact on helping that discharge of that trauma and helping clear some of that. Acupuncture is one. I've been doing it almost 30 years. And I work a lot with therapists. Acupuncture is a great modality, for instance, to work in conjunction with process work because mm-hmm. it helps balance the system. It can help re-release and discharge the trauma in the body that the body's holding with all the emotions and all the grief and all the process. And, and what, I don't- Go I'm ahead, sorry. I'm sorry.
1: Well, we're coming up on our our second break. Uh, The time is just flying, but we will uh, continue our conversation uh, about acupuncture and uh, and the parts of the body that get affected when we come back from this break. Okay, great.
0: Gail Rubin, the Doyen of Death, is the author of three award-winning books. In A Good Goodbye, Funeral Planning for Those Who Don't Plan to Die?, learn how to save money reduce family conflict and minimize stress at a time of grief just as talking about sex won't make you pregnant talking about funerals won't make you dead and your family will benefit from the conversation kicking the bucket list 100 downsizing and organizing things to do before you die brings a light touch to downsizing and organizing for end-of-life issues and Hail and Farewell, cremation ceremonies, templates, and tips helps you easily create meaningful memorial services with sample scripts, suggested readings, and music recommendations. These fine books by Gail Rubin, The Doyen of Death, are available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. For more information, visit agoodgoodbye.com.
1: Thanks for listening. This is part one of our two-part episode. Stay tuned for part two coming next week.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Doyen of Death podcast. You can find episodes of this podcast and past episodes of A Good Goodbye with Gail Rubin on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on Gail's work, visit agoodgoodbye.com.